This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week and a conversation I am looking forward to. Sean Keeley is the Editorial Strategy Director at Comeback Media. Comeback Media includes Awful Announcing and The Comeback. He is the creator of um, Noon's Magician, which is a very popular blog on Syracuse University. If, if you happen to be listening to this and you're a Syracuse alum, I, I, I'm positive you are heard of that um a really well-known and well-respected blog in that space last week he wrote a piece what happens to sports media if twitter dies great piece on awful announcing i totally recommend it and that will be the topic of our conversation today before i introduce sean or bring sean in i should say i don't know if i don't do this at the top but i did want to just sort of note two things one since um since the last podcast uh, news came out that Brittany Griner has been sent to a Russian penal colony to serve a sentence. And, you know, we have had uh, TJ Quinn on this podcast a number of times as well, Dr. Danny Gilbert, hostage uh, uh, expert when it comes to this stuff, a number of times on that topic. Obviously, people know I covered women's basketball for a long time. So, uh, you know, as a sort of citizen of the United States, it should piss you off to the highest level. I mean, the 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 sentence is a total fraud. The entire justice, if that's even the right word of that, was an absolute disgrace. It's a fucking American being held captive in a foreign country. So um, continue to read about it would be my uh, sort of advice. There's obviously not much those of us can do who are not involved in any potential negotiations, but I just hope that story does not go away. I mean, again, it is an American citizen wrongfully in prison being sent to a Russian penal colony. And then Fred Hickman, um, who um, for a brief time with Nick Charles at CNN Sports, uh, went head-to-head with ESPN and found a lot of viewers um, watching him and Nick Charles as opposed to ESPN, sort of a WCW-ish against uh, the big uh, WWF um, battle. He passed away. Um, this week, and so, um, and a shout out and acknowledgement to to his very groundbreaking career. All right, and with that, let me bring in Sean Keeley, the editorial strategy director at Comeback Media, and the author of the piece I just cited. What happens to sports media if Twitter dies? Sean, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, let's start here. What prompted you to write the piece? Uh, well, in two words, Elon Musk, 
but in, in a in a larger sense, um, you know, I've well, as you said, you know, I used to run a Syracuse site, and that that dates back to 2005. And you know, I remember th- that was back before the days of Twitter and and really promoting yourself on social media and that becoming such a part of it. And so I just was noticing that, you know, there, there's all these doom and gloom pieces out there and we're, we're watching Elon make these big proclamations and, uh, you know, everybody's looking around and saying there, there's no way any of this is going to work. Right. Like, and, and so um, thinking about how Twitter has been such a, an institution in the sports media world for, for, you know, well over a decade now um, and, and intrinsically tied to, your site, like, you know, when I was running the Syracuse site, there came a point where there wasn't really much of a difference between my Twitter account and the site. And, um, and so, you know, knowing how connected that is and knowing how many people in the sports media world use Twitter, rely on Twitter, uh, engage with their audience on Twitter, build their brand on Twitter. It it just seemed like, wow, if, 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 and when Twitter goes away, and if it were to go away in a hurry, that's going to have a seismic impact on the world of sports media in a lot of different ways. Uh, and so that that was kind of the impetus to to want to reach out to some people and, and get their thoughts on it. Now we're going to we're talk about the piece and then me and you sort of can go back and forth. So you reached out to a number of people who are currently part of the sports media ecosystem or industry. Action Network's Brett McMurphy. ESPN's David Hale, The Athletic's Chris Vanini, Syracuse.com's Donna, D- am I pronouncing her name right? Detoda? Detoda. How do you pronounce her last name? Detoda, okay. Uh, Frederick National's announcer, Joey Zanabani, and then B-Known's Brendan Kaminsky. And what you did, and this is really smart, you got an insider, you got someone from ESPN, you got a national writer, you got a, a local writer, you got a broadcaster, and then a... Uh, Brendan Kaminsky's job as social media agency founder. So these are all people within the same like universe writ large, but they all have different jobs and they all sort of either cover or are part of different things. What did you find, um, Sean? Uh, what, 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 what were they saying to you when you asked them about um, Twitter's value for them what Twitter has meant to them and what could possibly happen if it goes away. Yeah. And I should say that, you know, even, even in reaching out to all of those different types of people, there are still so many other types of sports media people from different backgrounds and, you know, different jobs. And and so, um, so by no means is this the, the complete picture, but I, but I wanted to reach out to as many different people as I could. Uh, yeah. In these different outlets, because what I learned pretty quickly is pretty much everyone uh, has a different view on how important Twitter is, what they use it for and how they would feel if it were to go away. You know, in um, speaking with Chris, who, you know, is a national writer, covers college football for the athletic, uh, you know, he, for him, it was not only is Twitter, you know, he, he basically credited it as being the reason he's in the position he's in today. Uh, but also, you know, credited at, credited it as kind of an RSS feed for the sports world for him. You know, where he immediately has access to every beat writer around the country, every college football program, 
you know, he it, it taps him in to the world that he's covering in a way that is just much harder with, without Twitter. Um, and so uh, for him, it was really interesting to see how it was both sides of it, you know, and he also talked about how, you know, sports Twitter, uh, which is, you know, this thing that is its own ecosystem and how that is an experience unto itself. Uh, being on Twitter on college football Saturday or NFL Sunday and how, how that is such a critical part of the experience for not just people in sports media, but just sports fans in general. Um, and then you have um, Joey Zanaboni, who, um, if people don't know, he went viral a bunch of times on Twitter for his uh, imaginative minor league baseball calls. And he, he says that Twitter is basically the reason he has a job now in AAA. Um, and he's, his, his dream is to become a major league baseball broadcaster. And he felt like without Twitter, I, I wouldn't be this close to it. Um, and so for him, it was more of a promotional tool and, and a way to uh, get his name out there. Um, and then, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting that for Donna being the beat reporter for the Syracuse basketball team, um, her point of view is that, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's interesting. It's, it's good to connect and, and all that, but it's not critical. Um, you know, for her, she said that if she wants to get breaking news from, from players, she's more likely to find it on Instagram because that's where they're going to announce their, their big news or their NIL deal or something like that. Um, and so for her, it wasn't quite the, the same thing. So, yeah, across the board, it was really interesting to see just how for some people it was, you know, almost it feels like it would be this almost catastrophic loss. And for other people, um, like Brett McMurphy said, you know, we'll we'll just move on to the next thing, just like we did when Twitter got here. I will eventually uh, I'll get into my own sort of thoughts on that. Uh, and at least some people on who listen to this podcast know I did, I did take a, um, a Twitter respite for seven months and then the the two months I guess I've been active, I've been barely active. So I have some thoughts on that. Um, you know, Sean, let us hope uh, we're going to put this conversation out tomorrow, but I think neither of us can guarantee that, that there won't be major news coming out of Twitter. Like by the time, like we end taping and you can start to hear this already today as we're taping this on November 10th, there, there is seemingly more internal turmoil when it comes to high level, Twitter positions. One of the things, though, that we have seen when it comes to sports is since the service Twitter Blue now has allowed you to um, be verified, get a, get a get a get a blue check mark, whatever nonsense that even means. Um, you, you know, you can you get that thing. We have seen Adam Schefter, LeBron James. I think a role as Chapman. You probably are probably more in tune here in terms of. The, the growing list of people who've been impersonated, but this has happened. And at least I think in the terms of Schefter's one there, you know, it was a fake Schefter who reported that the uh, Raiders had fired their NFL head coach and like a significant number of people put that out there. Um, how do you view in the micro what's going on right now with um, a little bit of a free for all here with all these sort of changes specific to the site? Yeah, I mean, I, I will say from from an internal level, we we at Comeback Media had a whole conversation yesterday about like, okay, our system for identifying a, a a tweet that is breaking news or a tweet from a verified 
person who we feel like we can trust to share that tweet in, in our, in our work, that system is gone. Um, and so, uh, so we, yeah, it's, it's very clear that moving forward, it's going to be, uh, m- you're going to have to have laser focus on who you're getting your information from and whether or not the person saying this breaking news is actually the person uh, that that they say that it claims that they are. And and on one hand, those of us who have been on Twitter and in the sports world for a long time, we we are we have built up a bit of a callus to this. You know, we who among us hasn't been fooled at some point, uh, at least initially. By a by a fake Adam Schefter, you know, saying that uh, you know some some crazy news. So it's not it's not like this is coming out of nowhere. We those you know, for a lot of people who are in sports media and on sports Twitter, you, you we're used to this. You know, we there there's uh, Ballsack Sports, which was you know made headlines. I feel like every few months they they catch out somebody. Uh, somebody goes on ESPN and talks about something that Ballsack Sports re- reported. You know that LeBron James said so, and now they're verified. So, it, you know, there's wow, yeah, it's definitely it, it's a wild west. I think maybe we fooled ourselves a little bit into thinking it wasn't the wild west before, or at least at least we kind of, you know, we there there was the the idea of guardrails, um, and so I think in the short term there are no guardrails. And we'll see what happens you know, from here. Obviously, you know they're they're banning these accounts as they come up, but that's not an ideal system. That's not how it's supposed to work. It shouldn't be incumbent on the customer to um, be the one to figure out how to spot uh, a good, a credible account from a non credible one. But uh, for now, at least, the, that's the system we're being given. You know, Twitter's been a lot of things when it comes to sort of sports Twitter. Um, to me, the the two greatest things about it were one, it it offered you a a gatekeeping ability. I don't know if that's the right word, but it basically gave you access to all the great pieces of information or content, like directly funneled to you. Where once upon a time. Like it would have been impossible to like, you know, go through every local newspaper or something like that and pick out like what's the most interesting or uh, or greatest sports story of the day. Like sort of Twitter's ability to sort of customize like all these great people and minds and pieces like there 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 was nothing like it. There still has been nothing like that. So that's part one. The other thing and I imagine, Sean, you'll agree with me on um, this one is it. there was, there is, or was. I don't know if the is part is still the same. Certainly was nothing better when there was a big moment in sports than to sort of be part of this like gigantic uh, ecosystem. You know what I mean? Like to be part of this like sports bar and everybody sort of weighing in on, oh my god, did you see that? Or um, you know, or just sort of like what their take was or what their mem was. Like you felt like you were so current and you felt like you were part of something so much bigger than you. And sports is one of the few things that can do that anyway, just in terms of the communal nature of it. But th- that was those are the two things I've sort of always loved and appreciated about it. Um, so those are the utilities for me. What do, you, do you, what what when you think of sports Twitter? What do you think of when it comes to like the utility of it? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. That 
um, one, yeah, if, if you're watching a, a, a big event, like a big game and you're on Twitter and, and you've got, you know, you've got all the people who are in that, that sports Twitter world, whether it's college football or, or whatever it is, and a big play happens and your, your Twitter feed just becomes a stream of expletives and oh my God, and all that stuff. And everybody's kind of sharing that moment together. And then the memes break out and, uh, people start sharing the clips and, and it, it's great. It's, it's, uh, very communal and, and really fun. And it makes you feel very connected to a lot of people who, you know, you share a, a commonality with, and, and that's great. Um, and, and, um, you know, on the flip side, you know, for whether you're in sports media or you're just someone who consumes sports, you know, uh, on a daily basis, I think Twitter is a great resource. And, uh, you know, you, if you take the time to, um, customize it and, you know, block out the people you don't want to hear from and, and mute accounts, you know, and all that stuff. If, if you put in a little bit of work, you can create a feed for yourself that gives you the information that you want. You get a really good sense of what the people in your bubble are, you know, are thinking about and talking about, you know, I, I think there's always a, a good, healthy, um, reminder that Twitter is often not real life or how the rest of the world thinks. And, and, you know, as long as you keep that in mind, I think what you're, you can build a, an environment in, in Twitter that, yeah, is, is a great resource, is a way to stay connected to sports and the things that you're interested in. And is a, it's a community. I, I think at the end, you know, at the end of the day, I always kind of feel like most social media platforms are when you truly break them down, they're message boards. And, and Twitter is a message board that you customize to have a conversation with the people that you want to have conversations with. All right, let's get into value a little bit. And then I do want to get into at least sort of just one uh, part of it, which is the real negative part of it. And that's the sort of horrific experience, particularly for uh women when it comes to sports twitter people of color it can be and that that's not limited to quote unquote sports twitter that that uh, that's many times twitter itself and maybe sports twitter is a better experience uh in that sense but again it's this is where sort of twitter can be horrible but in terms of value you know this is something you talked about with your panel right and chris vanini was the one who said that like i wouldn't have a career um without this um and it sort of gets to, and I think in your management position, you would have great insight into this. When I first started t Twitter back in, I think, 2009, um, Sports Illustrated in particular, maybe not 2009, but certainly like 2012 or 11 or 13, we were pushed, Sean, so hard to be on Twitter. It like It became almost like a cultish like mantra that you had to like sort of start getting a presence on there and it was going to be incredibly important for um the traffic and incredibly important for visibility and you know this sports illustrated wasn't alone here like you literally saw everybody do it whether you were at a legacy media place like i was or you were starting a blog like you did um do you that's changed though and i think both of us know this just from the metrics like the metrics that you get from sort of posting something on Twitter are really not very good anymore. And so the visibility part, like I think is still important, right? Like you want people to know your, your work and you want people to know that you exist, but the reality, I mean, this is my experience and I'd be curious yours, but I think we're probably going to be similar here because trends are trends. 
like the the value in 2022 of like posting something on there is nowhere near of what it used to be when you would post something, let's say five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, it certainly feels that way. And, and I think definitely from a traffic generation perspective, if that's if we're just talking about like, yeah, yeah driving traffic to your site. You're right. I should be specific. Yeah, exactly. that it is not that anymore. And that's not really what Twitter's about. Uh, or maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe it never was. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I, I think that, um, yeah, it, it has kind of evolved into just now this is just the space where we all hang out. And, um, you know, and like you said, it's not always positive. And, and there's definitely a lot of people who have to put up with a lot of BS that, um, that other people don't. And, um, you know, I, but yeah, I, I think I, I do remember that time when it was like, it was, it is essential to be on Twitter. And I wouldn't say it feels that way anymore, even before Elon bought it. Um, you know, I've, I've definitely seen a lot of people who used to be, you know, I used to note all the time on my timeline who either have disappeared or kind of just chime in every once in a while. And, um, and, and, you know, the options back then, you know, it was, you know, what it was like Twitter, Facebook, that maybe Instagram, that was kind of it, you know, as like the major social media outlets. Um, now, you know, we like so many other things, we've gotten so much more segmented. And so you can go to Substack and, you know, that's where you, that's where you're, generating uh you know people readers and you're building you're engaging a bit more with a curated community um you know tiktok is is its own thing um uh yeah the, the it just feels like the days when tw twitter was twitter felt essential because it you know it wasn't the only game in town but it kind of felt like it if you were in certainly if you were in the media world and, and sports media to, to not be on Twitter was to, um, to be missing out on something. And yeah. Dead, oh yeah. Right? You, you didn't exist. Professionally Profes dead. Professionally right, speaking, yeah. you didn't exist, um, for a period there. And that's not, that's not the case now. So here's what I want to sort of run by you, because this is where I think that the value was, um, and maybe still is, but I, 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 I'd love to get your thought on this. Undoubtedly, like you said, there was value and value that you could monetize on your own to being on there with some kind of following. Um, every place I worked at pushed it. There is absolutely no doubt that part of the athletic, part of the reason the athletic wanted me in 2018 was for my Twitter following. I mean, my God, was there, were, did any of us go there without writing why I joined the athletic <laughs> and, and, and putting that on Twitter? Like that, like literally, Everybody did that. Um, in terms of my feed itself, there were a couple of things that turbocharged me. Um, one was in, I don't remember the year. I'm not even trying to be like false modesty here. Like maybe it was 2012 or 2013. But like um, I posted a photo of Steve Bennett of Sportscasters who um, he was with his brother who had just won a title at um, a hockey title at uh, Yale. And, you know, ask the question, like, do you have a photo of like the, you know, the, 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 the greatest moment of your life? And it, people started sending me this stuff and it went viral. I got a lot of attention for it, but it really like, um, um, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of juiced my Twitter follow following way, way above some knucklehead sports person should have had. Um, again, 
had some very stupid Twitter wars with Darren Ravel and some others, and uh, that pushed my uh, Twitter following higher. You know, a lot of attaboy kind of uh, stuff like that. And yes, like uh, trolling Skip Bayless with the absurd uh, comparisons of uh, how Undisputed did against Paw Patrol and others, same <laughs> thing. But the, the point was that, like, th- there I was able to... Sean monetize that like like I'm just I have to be honest with the audience like I, like I can't tell you what the exact ROI was but there's just no doubt that like um the athletic like was interested in that in the same way Sports Illustrated was interested in it like I remember having contract negotiations at both places they the the management both brought up my Twitter following like it, it was a fact that existed within their ecosystem so I think that still has value and if you are like Adrian Wojnarowski or Sham Sharnea, or Adam Schefter, or people like these insiders with crazy followings, like that is the reason they are multimillionaires. It's not their skill set, which I'm not saying is not big. It's the fact that they have their own distribution engine. So in terms of value, that's where I think the value still exists, whether following followers are real or not, or bots or not. Do you know what I'm saying? Management still thinks that that matters. And if that matters to management, that means you can get paid for that. Yeah, I mean that, that, and it makes sense, right? I mean, management, you know, the executive level is always going to be a little bit behind the the trend in terms of what, uh, you know, it's like we see in Hollywood where you know they beat a trend into the ground, whereas everybody's kind of moved on. But um, no, I mean, we we again, like this is decades worth of thinking that Adam Schefter signs that nine million dollar contract extension and. A lot of that has to be related to the fact that he's going to use that Twitter following to jam breaking news out there or, um, you know, like just any anything he tweets like that becomes a big deal. And, you know, we've seen um, Woj, you know, there there was a report that he was sending around uh, a packet to potential sources basically saying, look, here's my Twitter following. Here's how many more followers I have than every other person who is breaking NBA news. Like you should be working with me because of my social media following. So yeah, it, it is baked into how we perceive the value of those people. Uh, and, and I think, you know, to, I, I think, you know, with some of the people that I, I spoke with, it would probably say this more, you know, some more than others, but, but I definitely think there are people who work in the sports media world where when we think of their value, we think of their Twitter following. And, and if they don't, if, you know, if they have a job in one place and, and they decide to move on, another company might hire them simply because of the perceived reach that, or the value of those Twitter followers. But it is kind of crazy thinking about like, what is that, what is that even going to matter in like six months? You know, we don't know, like, we don't know what, what adventures Elon is taking us on, but um, it's kind of crazy to think that the, from an industry perspective, we have people whose value is tied up in their Twitter following, and that could essentially be meaningless within the next year. So, yeah, I want to get into that because just sort of sort of for clarification for people in the event that they care, uh, the question I asked was, how many of you have a photograph of the single best moment of your life? Uh, which I'm gonna, I must admit, in 2013 was a pretty good question to ask on Twitter. Um, and then the, yeah, the pitch deck that, uh, um, you know, I think it was reported that Wojnowski's agents, which would have been CAA, um, sent to places uh, reported by Ethan Strauss and his sub stack. Um, 
So let me ask you, Sean, like, is there, if what, what, so if, if, I mean, again, we'll eventually get into this. Like, I don't, I, neither of us know what's going to happen to Twitter. If you had to ask me today, the only sure bet I would make is Elon Musk is not going to be the owner in 2024. Other than that, I don't think I would bet on anything because I don't know. But if so, somehow this, like, if this went away, and eventually we'll get to alternatives, but if, Sean, if this goes away, so what does that mean for people who have significant and large followings? And what does it mean for people who have, like the people we mentioned, the Wojnarowski types and others. I mean, myself, uh, let's be blunt. Like, what is it, what, is, what will it mean for those people who have monetized this medium? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because of whatever that count is. And by the way, it's, that that's probably like, a th- th- that's tens of thousands because I think Awful Announcing has done that. I think the New York Times has done that. You know what I mean? Like um, Colin Coward's radio show, uh, any ESPN personality. So it's it's if that does go away, man, that's that's not an insignificant thing when it comes to sports Twitter. No, and it's it's a huge ripple effect. And um, keep, you know, again, keeping in mind, like you said, we have absolutely no idea what, what's happening. Uh, you know, the where while the you know, I think it's it's easy, and and I definitely fall into this trap with every day's new news about what's happening over there that this is going to go away like next week. Uh, you know, more likely it's going to be more of a trickle, uh, you know, and, and, you know, things will start to break and systems will break down and like, you know, the trust in, um, in that. And so to me, I see it, yeah, I see, see it as this big ripple effect where, um, you know, you have your, your, this, this whole breaking news industrial complex, which is built around Twitter and how that is going to have to completely remake itself. Um, and I don't really know what that looks like. I don't know if they decide, well, we're just going to go back to breaking the news on our networks or on our website and, you know, focus on that. Right. Um, you know, the thing I think is really fascinating is TikTok, uh, while it is a completely different animal to, to Twitter, um, you know, we, we've seen how massive it is. We've seen how popular it is. It's very clearly here to stay, you know, at least you know, for as much as you can say that about any social media platform, but nobody, as far as I can tell, has really planted a flag over there in the, in the same way. Um, not that I can ever imagine Woj being like a TikTok star, but like I, I right. I'm I'm intrigued by the by the fact that um, Adam Scheffner doesn't have like a thriving TikTok presence. Um, I, I I'm curious to know why. Uh, why they haven't done that yet or or d- d- doesn't seem to be in the works and you know i think do you think do you think they that would be cannibalizing what they ultimately do which is a visual it's a visual company at the end of the day more than a than a um than a than a print company using print sort of print slash digital well yeah i mean i think a, some of it is we're you know we're all a lot of us on sports twitter we're here because it's writing it we're writers but or we're you know uh we're not we're, you know, even though these people are on TV, like we're, we're coming from a background where it's, it's about these like bite-sized pieces of information or we're writing out the information. It's real quick. And, right. um, I, and I, yeah. like the value, I didn't mean to like the value isn't, I need to watch Adam Schefter or Wojnarowski, like say what the information is. The value is the information itself. Right. Yeah. But the, the interesting thing is like, TikTok's influence is now, you know, from what we're hearing, Elon wants to incorporate 
that kind of video back into Twitter. Right, with Vine. Yeah, all the other platforms are trying to kind of emulate TikTok. And so social media, you know, the, the quote unquote pivot to video is is happening. And so you, you kind of, I'm surprised that there isn't more of a, all right, well, this is what's coming. This is where it's going right now. And so, um, so yeah, but I, that's probably a conversation, you know, unto itself, but to, to get back to your point, I think, um, yeah. So, you know, if, when that breaking news industrial complex kind of breaks down, that, that changes so much because it affects the sports Twitter conversation. Um, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, think about, think about the aggregate news complex, you know, everybody on ESPN loves to complain about that. Um, that's going to ch- like completely change the way those sites work. You know, we do some of that uh, as well, where you're just gathering up tweets and you're looking for instant reactions. And if that's not happening on Twitter, I don't, where, where is that conversation happening? Where, where is all that going to happen? And so, um, yeah, the, the, the answer is, I don't know. And, and I don't know that anybody knows, but it's going to, it is going to, the, the one thing to, I think, to remember is, um, we, the sports media world existed before Twitter. It will exist after Twitter. Uh, there was always going to come a time where Twitter is no longer uh, this centralized community that that galvanizes sports media. Um, and, and so, I it it will exist. You know, obviously the conversation will exist elsewhere. It's it, but as far as where, I I really have no idea. Yeah, that we'll finish with that. The uh, one thing I did want to get to. So. You know, we have seen away from quote unquote sports Twitter, like advertisers start to get very jittery about this company um, and you can't blame them. You, 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 if you're investing significant money into a social media site, you, you can't have um, you, you, you can't have your like product next to like anti-Semitism or racist commentary and stuff like that. It's the it's the sort of the same thesis that like, uh, you know, back in the day, no. Um, no, no alcohol company would ever want to be next to a editorial story that involved like, um, you know, drunk driving or something like that. Like just advertisers are, they're not going to do that. Um, the, in your opinion, how would you define sort of the Twitter experience when it comes to, um, the negative side of it, harassment, um, and just everything that's sort of you know sexism, racism, all that stuff, everything that um, that 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 can ultimately um, be the worst of one of these social media sites um, when unchecked. They've all, including Twitter, have sort of said that uh, they police it and it's important to them. But I think me and you, in all honesty, Sean, we've had it easy in terms of our Twitter experience versus obviously many women, particularly women in our business, or people of color it's a, it's been an it should be you have to be honest with the audience here it's just a different it's been a different experience if you are white and male on twitter uh so i you know i'm asking you to sort of look at it like from a broader picture even though you may yourself have not experienced this stuff yeah I, it's it's there's no way around it it's it's terrible and um you know I, I definitely as a white cis male i i have not had to deal with one tenth of a percent of, of the things that a lot of other women and people of color and um, people from LGBTQ backgrounds have, have had to deal with. And, you know, I, 
I, I think we all know that there are opportunities for um, managing the, you know, the, the kinds of comments that we allow and the kind of interactions where that get flagged and, and all of that. And I think we also know at this point that the people who buy and own these platforms aren't interested in really policing that stuff as well as they should. Great point. And, um, you know, we, Mr. Free Speech himself, Elon Musk is, you know, has, you know, he's clearly focused more on punishing people who make fun of him than he is punishing anybody who's going to harass women or, um, you know, do, do anything like that. So I, I don't expect that to, to change, unfortunately. And, you know, is there, if, if there's a solution for it, I, you know, where we could actually have those, those honest realities, you know, come, come into play. I, I unfortunately don't know just based on the way the power structure works right now. Um, I also just the solution wise, I, I don't know if there can be a solution if you're laying off, uh, you know, what 3000 workers or whatever, whatever it is, including people who's like, who have the institutional knowledge, right. Of how to combat this. So I feel like that, that I feel like he's already told you sort of what he thinks about this. That's just, that would be my top down. Take. No, you're right. It's he's, he's made it very clear what his priorities are and, um, policing harassment and, um, threats and all that stuff is not high on it. And so, yeah, that, that's just, that is, that's a huge part. And it's also one part of, why this thing's probably going to go downhill in a hurry um uh, because I, I, you know not that this is in any way the same thing but um wednesday's whole thing where we were seeing all these fake accounts pop up with the fake news it kind of ties back to that level of you know trust or safety that you feel using this platform and you know ultimately if you don't feel safe when you log into twitter and you don't feel like you can trust what you're seeing um you're, you're going to be like, why am I here? What's the point? All right. This will lead us to sort of like, you know, what, what possibly could be next? Is there even a next again? I, I, <laughs> you'd be a fool to sort of predict what is going to happen with Twitter. And again, as I said earlier, the only thing I will would predict the only, if you know, I don't even know, Sean, if you can bet on this in Vegas, but if you can, if you could, I would bet there will be a different owner of Twitter in 2024. It's the only thing, that I feel confident was I, I don't think Musk is in this for the long haul. I think at a certain point he's going to try to get out after taking a financial bloodbath. That would just would be my prediction. Um, but we'll see. Um, you know, he, he certainly has built some incredible companies. I, I don't think this one is fixable. Uh, personally, I think it was, I think it's been, you know, you don't need to be a, you know, you know, to, you know, to be a wall street genius to realize it's not a very good financial deal. So you have all these people, I mean, you know, millions and millions of people who are really into sports Twitter, like they're in, you know, whatever they're into, if they're into information, they're into making jokes, they're into doing memes, they're, you know, whatever it is, they're like, they exist and they're going to want a place to be heard. And so the question is like, can there be Sean an alternative? I, I like, I, I, you know, I haven't been on enough of these, you know, Mastodon type places to sort of see, like, could any of these places sort of emerge as the next Twitter? But let me just ask you, like, broad stroke, like, do you think there will be one? If I had this conversation with you in 2027 and tw and Twitter did go down, 
Is there another place where you have millions of sports fans in some kind of social media ecosystem chatting, talking, and doing what they do on Twitter every day? Yeah, I, I guess my, my answer would be maybe, kind of. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I feel like for those of us who have been on the internet, grew up on the internet or have worked on it for a long time, I my personal opinion is that everything is cyclical and, and you see it play out in every in every platform. We, we saw it. The same cycle that played out in sports blogs is the same cycle that played out on YouTube is the same cycle that played out on podcasting is the same. And it just keeps to me, it keeps doing the same thing over and over again, where um, where eventually, uh, you know, kind of like we, you know, with with streaming on TV, like we're eventually it, it becomes everything gets centralized under one big company and then um, it fractures out and we see. Um, kind of the react the reaction is either other large companies creating their own version or tiny communities propping up and kind of curating their experience and and so my my best guess is that Twitter will will be here in some form. I think you're right. I think Elon's gonna get real tired of this real quick and um, pass it off to somebody else or you know just hand it over hand the keys to somebody and walk away. And, and I think it'll still be here, but it, you know, it's it's probably not going to be what it was. And I think we're just going to see a bit of a fracturing of um, you know big companies trying to emulate the experience the best they can, while a lot of people kind of move towards more curated, smaller communities. Um, you know, whether that's like a Substack community like newsletter thing which i know they're trying to kind of incorporate more more tools right now whether that's reddit whether that's um you know something we don't know yet um my only thing i'll say about mastodon and, and i'm no expert i tried to go over there and figure it out as an alternative and if it, it was to me it was so convoluted and uh and i just had a really hard time figuring it out and i think the thing one of the things that made twitter successful early on is was how easy it was to just sign up and get going. And um I think that's that's going to be the that's the thing I'm looking for in the next the next big thing, whatever it's going to be. Um it's going to be the thing that's real easy for all of us, especially those of us who are getting older, um, to just kind of move over real quickly and find the things that we want and recognize some faces and uh like okay, I, I see that guy's and that and that woman's over here. Um, like I feel comfortable and, you know, or I feel like I, I kind of understand what's happening. Um, and, and that's my, my best guess is that's the kind of platform that's going to be able to emulate Twitter to whatever that looks like. Last one for me. And it's just more of a thought bubble exercise. Do you think there would be any big place i mean really maybe the maybe would almost have to be espn given its size and and magnitude and stuff but do you think any any place and you know let's even go a little smaller la times sports section or um um the the ringer or something like that you know whatever do you think any place in the next like six months will just be like we're done we're we're asking our employee our employees to to um you don't have to post here anymore in fact anything that you have or any thoughts we're going to set up an internal system where you know we want you to do this you know what i mean like you, do you see any place sort of give the signal to be the first mover to be like 
we're out. We're done. We're not gonna. We're not gonna be part of this because that could lead to an interesting um, scenario in sports Twitter if some of those places sort of first moved. I, I'm not saying. In fact, I don't think that would happen in the near term. But I wonder for you, do you think anybody would think about that and be like the first sort of mover out of here? If if especially if things get a little more, um, you know disjointed like corporately with this with this company well i think i i correct me if i'm wrong i think i saw this morning npr put out a note to all of their people saying keep your twitter handle but you don't have to go on there anymore and i didn't say i'll look at that i'll interested but that's what i'm that the, these are like that's sort of the thing i'm starting to look for to see if any of these particularly big slash legacy type companies like put it into the public th- that he, we have a new directive for our, our employees, and here's what you know yeah. what I'm saying. Here's what we're saying because that then that becomes a story, and then then in many ways maybe that becomes self fulfilling if all these other places start to follow the lead. So NPR is obviously on the would be on the news side. So what I'm thinking about is is, is there is there anybody you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. is there anybody on the sports side who sort of steps into that breach? I I mean I have to think so because I I think. Um, yeah, if, if NPR is doing it and, and I think other places are not, especially now that money is involved in Twitter, you know, to, to the, where like, if I think I saw somebody say like, if, if you wanted to get every single reporter at the LA times verified for a year, uh, it would cost like thousands of dollars. And, and so like, yeah. is that, is that ultimately going to be worth it for you? And, you know, I'm sure people are going to make the calculations that, well, why don't we just invest that money in our own thing and like encouraging people to, um, you know, come to us where we're trying to generate our own revenue. Um, so yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think, especially as, I, I, especially as the trust and the safety break down further, um, I think that is going to be the signal to a lot of these companies to be like, Hey, Maybe while we're waiting for the next Twitter to come around, we kind of bring everybody back in house and let, let's try and let's try and get people to come come to us. Yeah, I mean, I would just uh, you know, I think my audience is pretty savvy enough to to know this. I, I would be very careful at the moment of giving your credit card <laughs> to that company, just with all the news floating out and privacy and security people quitting. Just you know, be be cautious. Yours would be uh, would be my my. my my, my counsel. Um, Sean Keeley is the editorial strategy director at Comeback Media. Um, that includes awful announcing as well as the comeback. Again, he wrote a great piece, What Happens to Sports Media If Twitter Dies. That's on awful announcing. I guarantee it will not be the last piece that Sean writes on this. And uh, as someone who's read him for a long time, I think he's just like got a really good, like, broad view of things uh, related to the sports media, be sort of able to see something either micro or macro and then explain it on either side in terms of what it might mean for you as a reader or a listener or a viewer. Sean, man, I really enjoyed this. You know, we've never met in person, but uh, but I, I, I've been reading you a long time and, and I got great admiration for what you do. Um, thanks so much uh, for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you and, and thanks to Twitter for uh, connecting us uh, ultimately. <laughs> Don't die, Twitter. <laughs> we need you for the uh, yeah for the connectivity. There you go. Thanks, Sean. Thanks. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Sean for a great conversation. I appreciate uh, his time and, uh, and insight. Really interesting topic. And 
I have no doubt um, we'll be talking about sports Twitter again probably much sooner than later. You can head to the archives if you like these kind of conversations. Last couple, uh, author Jeff Perlman on his new Bob Jackson book, World Cup Preview with Grant Wall. Had a conversation with that and Amin of Fox Sports and Adnan Burke of uh, MLB Network, multiple places. Jamel Hill is on this podcast to talk about her memoir, James Andrew Miller, on where ESPN stands in 2022. If you like these conversations, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. Um, one, it's just very cool that uh, you appreciate the content, and two, it certainly uh, has great meaning to uh, the people who are partners on this podcast, Cadence 13. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work, as always. Thanks to everybody at uh, Cadence 13 for their support, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.